G'day, it's time to talk about Australia's favourite obsession, property. My name's Jeremy Cownan and this is our podcast where we get to talk about my favourite obsession and one that has hooked Australia and that of course is property. And I've got to say, we're all in lockdown at the moment with the coronavirus, and if that's showing us anything, it's highlighted just how connected we all are. That catchphrase, we're all in it together, really embraces the global interrelations and vulnerabilities that we all face. And the best outcomes that we can achieve are always going to be those in the interest of the community. So today, we've got someone who really embraces this style of concept, building an echo village based upon partnerships and the community and the planet as a whole. I'd like to introduce you to the inspiring story of Brendan Condon and his Cape Patterson Echo Village. Brendan, welcome to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Thanks for the opportunity to have a chat, Jeremy. Now, Brendan, we've got a lot to get through, um, but I wanted to actually start out with this question that you didn't actually start out in property, did you? You started out life in quite a different way uh, when you first went to university. Yeah, I did. I studied uh, criminology at university. I, I, I was sort of really undecided for a long time about what I wanted to do. I always had a strong environmental streak, um, but going through university Melbourne at Melbourne Uni, uh, I sat in on a criminology lecture and I really enjoyed um, uh, the material mm-hmm. and ended up uh, completing a degree in criminology. And, and then while I was at university, I started programs with uh, young offenders, uh, diversionary programs where I worked with young offenders, replanting rivers and creeks and waterways around Melbourne and teaching them employment skills and uh, drug and alcohol education, anger management, a whole range of things to try and uh, equip these uh, people with with, uh, the skills to sort of bounce out of the criminal justice system and, and go on to have productive lives. So was that your first introduction as such to the construction industry, um, planting the trees um, and, and working in that um, uh, rehabilitation along the rivers? Uh, I did uh, take a couple of years off out of my degree and worked on construction sites in the city. So I worked on um, uh, the Stock Exchange building in Melbourne when I was 21 and just had a couple of years out uh, to, to just have a bit of a break and um, and I worked as a, a concrete as labourer on a big building site so that was my first touch of construction and then after that I went back and did the criminology degree and and then sort of really self-taught myself um, how to do environmental restoration work and, and, and how to run these programs. Yeah well that was going to be actually my next question is how did you learn about the environmental side of stuff so just completely self-taught just uh, an interest in it and off you went? Yeah, I, I just saw this opportunity to set up programs and, uh, you know, when I was going through uni, I was working bars and, and I thought it'd be nicer to work outdoors and I guess that was a start, sort of a bit of a start of my entrepreneurial streak. Uh, I saw an opportunity to, to work with councils and water authorities and, and the criminal justice system to set up these programs. Uh, my mum suggested uh, the opportunity because she worked in the courts. Uh, right. She worked on in diversionary programs in the courts and uh, she, she made that suggestion and and off I went. So set up these programs. We had hundreds and hundreds of, of young offenders come through the, uh, the, the the program over the years and at the same time I, I learnt um, a lot about uh, biodiversity and biology and waterways and, and uh, revegetation. So it was really good for, um, uh, for all parties, I thought. So you moved on from the Young Offenders or the Offenders Program, the rehabilitation there, didn't you, into more of a corporate um, 
deployment of um, that environmental uh, rehabilitation, didn't you? Yeah, so when I started doing environmental stuff, it was really sort of a cottage industry. There were small nurseries around Melbourne growing, you know, 50,000 plants a year. Uh, And then our water authority started building big wetlands to treat stormwater coming from housing estates. Uh, They had uh, sort of legislative targets to remove uh, nitrogen and phosphorus and other stormwater pollution from our waterways. And uh, Melbourne Water... Uh, pioneered and championed building uh, stormwater wetlands to treat that stormwater to protect our our downstream waterways in Port Phillip Bay. Mm-hmm. So there were big programs that started up to build these big constructed wetlands, and uh, I saw that uh, those programs uh, coming. So organised a, a lease at, at Melbourne Water's Eastern Treatment Plant, one of the big sewage treatment plants here in Melbourne, and uh, with a friend we built a wetland nursery and we started growing aquatic plants and planting them on these uh, these wetlands on these housing estates and and then the business just sort of took off in the first year we grew 50,000 plants in the second year half a million plants and ever ever since then every year we grow a couple of million plants and we do you know uh, many many projects around Melbourne uh, with the property industry so how did you feel when you're working on those housing estates what um, what, what was your takeaway Look, we've done uh, hundreds and hundreds of these projects. In fact, we've we keep a count on how many plants go out the gate at the nursery. We're up to forty million now. Wow! Uh, and uh, yeah, so we've done huge numbers of creek lines and wetlands and waterways with the housing estates, and we build these lovely sort of habitat uh, corridors that are really good for recreation and uh, people to get out and connect with nature and exercise and, and all these things. Very important. In, in the current COVID uh, environment uh, at the moment, a lot of, a lot of the, the, the public open space projects that we've done. But over the years, you know, we, we did all, all these these great projects, but I was just looking at the built form and I, I just came to the conclusion that uh, we're building housing that's not really taking into account uh, climate change. Uh, we're building houses that are amongst the world's biggest houses. They're oversized compared to what people need and they're not very energy efficient. So housing stocks are locking people into high energy costs uh, and they're not very well adapted to um, to rising heat waves. So the big Achilles heel that's coming for the property industry is, is heat and heat waves. Uh, I work closely with uh, some of Australia's um, leading climate scientists and um, you know, there's predictions that we're going to be hitting 50 degree days in Melbourne and Sydney and many cities in, in uh, the next 20 years. That might seem like a stretch, but we actually hit, I think we hit 47 or 48 degrees in Western Sydney last summer. Um, so a lot of our current building stocks um, uh, make people quite vulnerable to heat. They need a lot of energy to heat and cool and to expel heat during heat waves. They don't have shading structures, uh, sufficient shading structures. So if the grid goes down, uh, suburbs can overheat. And, and we actually have had a lot, a lot more mortality through heat stress than we have through things like bushfires um, in Australia. And, and that trend is only continu- going to continue to get worse. And, and the other thing is just the, the, the cost of running these homes. So, you know, two to $3,000 a year, $4,000 a year. Um, and, and at the moment, people uh, are income challenged in COVID. Uh, and if we build better energy efficient housing and use solar, you can actually eliminate most of those costs. And it, it just puts our 
our communities in a much better place to be healthier and to have healthier bank accounts at the same time. So I'll bring you back to that in a little bit because there's a pretty decent story there um, with regards to how you've approached a solution there. But I want to bring you to back to the part where, um, in fact, I'm going to call you the environmental developer. Um, that might even end up being the tagline for this uh, for this podcast. But you, a couple of hours drive southeast of Melbourne, lives Kate Patterson. Um, can you tell us about Kate Patterson and what it means to you? So Kate Patterson is uh, it's a beautiful uh, coastal village um, in South Gippsland less than two hours from Melbourne, and it's uh, just down the coast from Phillip Island in the, the famous Penguin Parade and so on. And it's a beautiful wild bit of coast, and it was the, the, the beaches here were my beaches as, as a child. So we would uh, we lived in Gippsland, and we drove over the Streslecky Ranges down to Cape Patterson quite often to go swimming in the, in the nice protected beaches and, and body surf in the, um, in the surf beaches here, mm-hmm. and, and it's just a gorgeous bit of coast. So I've, I've been coming here since I was a child, um, and around 2003, I was down here with my, one of my brothers, and uh, we went for a run along the coast, and then I just saw this, uh, this piece of land, uh, which just looked to me to be absolutely ideal to build a sustainable estate, and just on, on the spot, I, I decided that I... I'd, I'd see who owned it and, and see if we could build a, a demonstration project. Um, so, that, so that's the story. And I've, I've yeah, I've, I've been coming down here for over 40 years, and it's it's a beautiful bit of wild coast here uh, with ocean views looking over Bass Strait. Uh, there's a lot of really great remnant wildlife, and and this bit of coast has got a, a whole lot of layered stories to it. It's just a beautiful spot. So, was it really just an epiphany when you were running that coastline and saw that plot of dirt? Well, it was, but. I guess we'd been part of um, big um, landscape projects with the property industry, uh, you know, with the Urban Developer Institute of Australia, where projects we'd worked on it sort of won national environment awards. And I just remember at these um, award nights, I would be talking to the developers, you know, many who are, uh, are friends of mine, and, and I was saying, how come we're not building more energy efficient uh, housing? Um, we need to build passive solar, energy efficient, carbon, ne- carbon neutral housing. We're seeing climate change is becoming a, a, a global problem uh why can't we do this and and the answer is i was getting back was well there's no demand for that and and then i would say well where was that where, where did you try that on on scale and and in the end i just thought the best way to do this is to build a demonstration project get off the soapbox and, and point at something concrete there's nothing like bricks and mortar and, and being able to walk through a, a real project to uh, to be a more powerful uh, mechanism for change so I sort of had that in the back of my mind, and then when I saw this site, I just thought this this is a beautiful site that would carry a beautiful, sustainable project. So that's quite interesting in that you had um, you know had a vision of the Echo Village as to what you wanted to achieve, um, coming in with quite noble uh, or noble agenda. Um, but it's fair to say that the welcome you received from the locals wasn't so warm, was it? Yeah, so Cape Patterson's uh, like any little community. Uh, you know, it's um, uh, people are, are often concerned about about change, and Cape Patterson had had a a pattern of subdivision where there was little space left for the community, not not a lot of um, open space, uh, 
lot of the town was built over remnant heathland. Uh, so there'd been sort of, um, uh, you know, previous uh, develop, developers uh, who hadn't really uh, paid a lot of attention to uh, to the environment. So I came in on the back of that legacy, and I remember I, I thought the first thing I'll do is um, call a public meeting and just talk about, um, you know, the, my, my vision for what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we let it drop the entire town. We had hundreds turn up, and yeah, it was it was uh, it was a pretty interesting um, uh, first meeting. Uh, where there was a fair degree of hostility, but um, you know, I sort of stuck to my guns and talked through my plans, and I think um, showed a lot of my track record of doing big biodiversity projects in Melbourne. And I think a lot of that group walked away thinking that I was genuine and interested to find out more. Yep. And from there, I was able to just keep building and building a coalition of support with the community. We had people come down to Melbourne and check out our projects and check out my bona fides. And then I think people, we, we just started to build that support uh, from the early days. But yeah, at that first meeting, there was um, lots of uh, defensive body language, crossed arms and furrowed brows. Um, and uh, but, but, but that was the start point and we're in a, a much different place today. What was their main concern? Just the fact that you were going to rape and pillage and um, change their, um, you know, their, their idyllic little coastal town. Was that, you know, yeah, that you were going to try and bring inner city Melbourne to to Cape Patterson? Was that their concern, or? Yeah, there were concerns that I was going to build suburbia on the coast, uh, that we would make a whole lot of promises, and then, um, you know, that those promises over time, and we wouldn't deliver on 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 that um, on, on those promises. Uh, so yeah, there was there was a great degree of cynicism, um, and and I can understand that uh, completely. So. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I engaged that objective group all the way through, and I still do today, and it's always been very respectful. But I think, uh, and there's still a, a, a very small group uh, here in Cape who, who um, to this day, uh, you know, would disagree that we should have been able to build this this project. But I think the vast majority of people now are seeing the benefits um, of, of the project. Uh, so yeah, you, you can understand it. it it's it's very understandable. Oh, absolutely. The the impact for of change for some of those people, um, yeah, it's it's certainly going to well impact them, doesn't it? So you can understand them being some hesitancy about it. Yeah, well, it's a it's a tight knit coastal village, uh, and it's um, it's sort of been bypassed by uh, patterns of major subdivisional development. Uh, it's a it's a little hidden gem here. Um, and people just didn't want to see it go the way of, of other coastal towns where there has been, in effect, transplanting a suburbia to the coast. Um, but we, we certainly uh, haven't we followed through on everything that we said. And uh, I can stand here today and say that we've pretty much delivered on, on everything we said. So can you walk us through the planning process? Sorry, oh, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, it's coughing. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> go for it. So can you walk us through the planning process? How did that go? Yeah, so 2003, I had our initial meetings with council and um, I guess, uh, you know, I was a little naive. I thought if you have a developer who's willing to really step above minimum standards and and work to build a demonstration carbon neutral project, um, you you know, I expected given that everyone was starting to really talk about climate change um, back then and and the need to reduce our national footprint and build more energy efficient um, 
communities and more clean energy, all these sort of things. Uh, I, I thought naively that we would um, potentially have a, a better run through planning. So uh, we, we had those initial discussions and um, it was it, it effectively there was a 10 year delay uh, to to achieve um, our, our permits to build. So we had a, an enormous amount of um, uh, initial objections from a, a certain part of the community, but I managed to work through that over time. But we also had uh, you know, quite, a, quite strong difficulties at the level of council and even state government. Um, so it was just a, a really long and pro prolonged, expensive um, uh, campaign uh, to, to push for a rezoning on the side and uh, to give us the permission to, to proceed. Uh, I would have thought maybe it would, you know, would have been a five or six year thing, but it was a, a decade. And um, of course, you know, that sort of racked up a lot of big holding costs uh, for for us yep. and put us behind the eight ball. So it put us under a, a lot of stress. Um, but around 2011, we, you know, 2011, 2012, we got permission to proceed um, and, uh, and then we were able to work through Admit that in the early stages of the project, we didn't have much in the way resources and compared to a normal estate where they will build a display village, we didn't mm. have that resourcing. So it sort of stalled us in the early days because we had to wait for our residents to come in and start building to demonstrate the quality of the housing that we were, were delivering. I think when people think about environmental housing, they think about, you know, mud brick homes and uh, straw bale homes. Yeah, and yurts and all the rest and of it. Yurts yep. and unsophisticated stuff, uh, whereas uh, the housing we're building here is really high quality, uh, lovely finishes, it, it, it's gorgeous. And, and we needed to get some of that built stock on the ground to put us to step over those stereotypes. And and then we once once we had sufficient homes, people uh, started to really engage with it. And, and we've, we've sort of hit that tipping point where we're accelerating out, out of the back end of the project now. Let's grab that point about the homes because this, in again, is is another interesting way in which you've tackled this because um, you actually recruited a number of leading architects and designers to design houses for um, for the Cape, didn't you? Um, and as part of that, I'm brief was that they needed to be environmentally friendly, etc. But they also had to be. Uh, designs that were publicly available to uh, online, weren't they, for, for anyone to download? Yeah, so if you're going to play an AFL grand final, you have to do a pre-season. And I, I just realised that our pre-season to, to do a high-performance housing project was to train our local builders and to build that capacity here. Um, you know, we're, we're here at Cape Patterson near Wanthaggy, it's the site of Victoria's first coal mine. It's, uh, you know, it's not a place that was uh, well known for uh, benchmark sustainable housing. Um, and I just thought if, if we're going to succeed here, we need to bring the building trades along and skill them up and, and, and the local designers. So we set up a, a training process which went for many months where, where we pulled in local designers and architects, uh, the local builders and some of Australia's leading energy efficiency experts. And we paid for the design and costing of 10 sample house designs. And it was interesting because the architects would bring forward their, their, their concepts and then they would be critiqued by the energy efficiency experts who would tell them, you know, just put a bit more thermal mass here, reduce mm -hmm. the size of those windows, move those windows over here, 
do these tweaks to your shading and you will get your housing up above seven and a half star mm -hmm. with minimal cost uh, so that the energy efficiency experts were optimizing the designs and the builders were giving feedback on buildability here in the coastal environment and what were the best materials to use. So we had this sort of teamwork approach uh, with competing designers and builders, but they all teamed together to just go through this training process. And the end result was that every time we, we saw revisions of the designs, we saw the price drop. Uh, so we were able to eliminate a lot of the premium that it usually takes to build, often takes to build sustainably. And then we had these 10 open source designs and uh, we put them up on the website. Uh, they've been downloaded over 50,000 times now. And, um, and, but the, the important thing is we set up this capacity so that now when people walk into this estate, if they want a sustainable house, they talk to any of the builders and uh, they're guided through the process and they can deliver these beautiful sustainable homes at, at least cost. So that, that was critical to the success of the project. Did you have trouble with engagement there with the, the local builders and, and the like that, you know, they're used to building in a particular way, um, but this was something different to, for them? Look, I was fortunate we had one builder here, TS Constructions, uh, and then, you know, one of the, um, they're, they're an outstanding sort of member of the Bass Coast community. And one of the directors lives in Cape Patterson, and he came to that first meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he, look, I just think he's a progressive, uh, forward thinking person who, who just sees that the whole country needs to build more energy efficient housing, and that by engaging with uh, the Cape um, and the opportunity that, it would be a great opportunity to def define the future trajectory of, of his company. So he was a great supporter from, from day one. Uh, he put in a whole lot of unpaid uh, time in those early um, uh, pricing and design training sessions. And, um, and then we had another builder uh, form up around the project, a company called The Sociable Weaver. And look, they were very aligned as well, a terrific local builder. He's a great surfer, a real, real sort of uh, environmentalist as well. So he built his company. So we've had these two building companies and now the social world is now off building all around Victoria. Uh, Harris Build is another builder who's come in and they've, they've, they're, they're just, I think we're, that's one of the fortunate things. We've had these, these good builders here who are willing to uh, play ball and, and, and learn. And, and we've got a very good project architect and we've resourced the project. So, um, so we've got this capacity now with uh, the local builders here that I think is pretty unique around Victoria. But I always say to the, the big developers who come here, if, if you're going to try and replicate what we're doing, you, you've got to re probably replicate that training process and build and, and bring your builders along for the ride because they will drive your success. So when we're talking, I mean, th these are, maybe should have made the point a little bit earlier, but these are beautiful architecturally designed homes, aren't they? They're not, as you said, they're not typically hay bales or, or anything like that. They are, you know, quite stunning and, and, and well-appointed. Um, and have won you know, numerous uh, architectural and sustainability awards, haven't they? They have, and we have architects and building designers uh, who have designed the homes. Um, and, uh, yeah, there, the whole estate's averaging over eight-star energy efficiency. Um, so that means that the houses, are, uh, you know, they heat and cool naturally. They stay between 18 and 25 degrees year-round with minimal heating and cooling. Um They've just, you know, they're all, they've got good orientation, uh, great insulation, thermal mass, double glazing, really good shade structures. 
so I'm, I'm sitting here today and it's a you know a cold winter's day and and the temperature is sitting at a nice uh, 19 degrees we haven't had the, the heating on for days um so we get that inherent energy efficiency working so the houses use a fraction of the energy of a conventional house to uh to stay within those temp those comfortable comfortable temperature bands and then we put in uh, efficient um, appliances. We don't have gas to the estate, it's a fossil fuel free estate. So uh, instead of uh, gas heating and cooling and so on, we have uh, and hot water and, and cooking, we have uh, heat pump heating and cooling and hot water. Mm -hmm. So it's efficient all electric. Uh, we have induction cooktops, LED lights, and we also have a minimum of two and a half kilowatts of solar in the rules, in the rules but we're averaging five kilowatts at the moment. So what it means is the whole estate at the moment is generating three to four times as much energy as it's using. Um, instead of the average energy bill of you know two to three grand per annum, the houses here are averaging under five hundred dollars per annum. Uh, a lot of the houses have got zero energy bills, um, and um, you know the whole place is in energy surplus and it's carbon neutral. So you know, people here, you know they they. Uh, text around their energy bills as a point of excitement. You know, here's my mm. energy bill for the last year, um, you know, minus 300 bucks or, or, or $200 or whatever it is, but they're, they're super low. So this is the, the, the great story. You know, you've got the great comfort and you've got the, the super low running costs as well. Do you think that there's much that um, designers and builders uh, in the burbs could take out of your project um, in that efficiency manner? Oh, look, absolutely. There's, there's no reason why in the whole country uh, couldn't be moving to carbon neutrality in the build in the residential building sector. Um, you know, where the, the housing sector, energy use in our housing sector and our commuter transport is about 20% of our national footprint. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like you know, big coal mines get a lot of the attention, but it's actually uh, you know the housing sector needs to be carrying its part of the problem because we're a big part of the problem and a, and a huge part of the solution. If we keep building uh, poorly designed uh, energy intensive building stocks, well, those stocks have got lifespans of many, many decades, and that continues to lock Australia into a, a high carbon trajectory that's going to make it really hard for us to meet our international obligations and take action on climate change, let alone protect people living in those houses from things like heat waves. Uh, what we found here is that as the builders have got better and better, uh, they're now building really energy efficient townhouses on smaller lots. So, you know, narrow frontage homes uh, on 350 square metre lots. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we're hitting the seven and a half star. We're hitting the same standards. Those houses are performing beautifully. And those sort of designs are transplantable uh, and applicable to, to suburbia, where often we're, we're now moving onto smaller home configurations. So everything we're doing here is able to be done in suburbia. We're using conventional building materials. There's no sort of you know fringe materials being used. They're using everything that normal houses are, are built from, but they're just configured better um, to uh, for, for that passive solar and energy efficient performance. So yeah, the answer is yes. And what about around the local area outside of um, your Echo Village? Um, have there been many of the um, the plans picked up and, and rebuilt uh, around the area? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's hard to, uh, it's anecdotal, uh, the evidence, but, you know, I was in Hamilton uh, at the pub talking to a guy by chance 
uh, in Western Victoria, which is 300 kilometres away from here. And, and he said, oh, yeah, that uh, the cape, I, I downloaded your nine-star home and gave that to my builders, and we've built a variant of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, one of the things is that our community uh, hasn't got access to good resources at, at fingertip on, on, on good energy efficient design. It's hard to find. And, and um, one of the things we wanted to do was open source our design so that we resource the whole community so people can grab the designs and, um, and then work with their builders and customise and tweak them and then just copy it. Uh, someone said to me once, oh, you're generating a lot of really valuable IP, you should be holding on to that. And I said, look, we just don't have time. We are so far behind the eight ball now on, on climate change um, that, uh, you know, we're, we're absolutely on the clock now. We, we need to be moving decisively. So we're, we're very happy to share that IP. And I said to our builders and our designers, uh, when you put your designs up on, on the website, uh, people download those, but it's got all your branding and they're, they're an ad out there in cyberspace for you you will pick up more work uh, as a result of this. The more you give, the more you get. So we've effectively got 50,000 ads floating around. Mm. Uh, the, the design groups working at the Cape are very busy. Um, they've got really good pipelines of work and, and they've got that great reputation. And part of that is because they've been happy to open source some of those designs. So you mentioned um, you know, the impact on the community there. Um, and we spent a lot of time talking about the energy efficiency side of the project, but community is a big part of this project as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, you know, we've, uh, we've got a lot of other design elements here at the project. Uh, so things like what we call socially positive design elements. We don't, we have no front fences. Uh, so when you look on the streetscapes, they're, they're really nice and open. A lot of the places have sort of raised verandas looking out on the street. So as their neighbours walk past, uh, you know, people will be sitting out having a glass of wine on the, on the front deck and um, so there's a lot of connection. Uh, there's kilometres of those granitic sand walking paths which meander down through restored wetlands and creek, land, uh, creek lines and waterways, little pocket parks uh, leading down to the beaches. So there's a whole lot of incidental contact that happens um, as people go for their daily walks around the estate. Um, and when, so when we talk, when you're talking about that, I mean, you're talking about uh, you know a hundred acre site that typically would have, say, some four hundred homes on it, and um, your development has um, has provisions for around two hundred and twenty. So we're talking masses of open space, aren't we? Yeah, we have. We've we've allocated a huge amount of space to open space and parklands and habitats, and I'll talk about the ecological side of that in a second, which is really interesting to watch what's happening here. But the, the housing um, areas, they are, you know, pretty compact. Uh, so the actual, you know, the themselves and the courts, uh, you know, the, the, the housing form is, is reasonably compact, although there are uh, a lot of walking paths that permeate through the, the built form. So it, the walkability of this place is sort of off the charts. You, you sort of walk out of your, your home and you're, you know, a couple of steps away from the granitic sand tracks that, that that walk right through the place and then they're also cycling paths um, so you know it is really good in terms of that active lifestyle and, and walkability where people can go and walk off some of that surplus uh, biofuel that everyone's carrying on their waistline <laughs> nowadays yes um, i'm going to test to that yeah same here and, and one thing i've just been watching in lockdown here you know we've seen the physical distancing but we haven't seen a degradation of social contact 
So people are still able to talk as neighbours. Uh, you know, there's open non-fenced uh, frontages. People are still running into each other uh, on the walking tracks from a distance. So the community is still functioning really, really well in, in, in a COVID environment. We also have the urban farm where people are growing food. Uh, all the homes have NBN with fibre to the home, so they're connected. Um, so, so that connectivity has really, really worked well. And people are staying here, working from home. They've got homes that have got virtually no energy bills. So, so all those things are actually... We, we did all that for climate resilience, but we're finding that all those resilience measures are working well in a, in a COVID uh, lockdown environment as well. Mm, mm. And you're going to start, you, you, you're going to press on with the ecology as well as to what's happening there. Yeah, so uh, we picked this site because it was a, an old cattle farm. So it had been cleared for many, many decades. It was covered in pasture weed. There was, uh, uh, you know, 30 or 40 uh, head of uh, cattle being fattened each year. The farmer ran around and spread superphosphate um, each year because it's it's pretty marginal, sandy coastal country. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I picked this. We weren't building across remnant bushland. We, we could build a sensitive uh, estate into this beautiful site with these, this really interesting topography with lots of rises and swales and ocean views and old old waterways. And then we could actually replant and re- recreate a lot of the habitat. So, so far we've planted, uh, it's probably 150,000 tube stock and restored all the, the waterways and the wetlands. Um, we're recreating and restoring creek lines, putting in lots of um, habitat plantings. And I've got a lot, one of my residents is a, uh, an amateur bird, uh, bird enthusiast and he's been keeping a log of the birds coming on the site and mm-hmm. he's counted 98, 99 species now, uh, including international migratory species that are dropping in onto our wetlands each, each summer. Uh, we've also got a big explosion of uh, frog populations. We've got 80 kangaroos on site, uh, swan wallabies, echidnas. We've, we're doing koala plantings. So... That open space, we're designing it. Uh, it's called biodiversity-sensitive urban design. Uh, so restoring ecological connectivity, lots of habitat, uh, traffic-calmed roads. Uh, we have a cat-free estate um, because we've, we've got these you know, rare and threatened bird species in this environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it's dogs on leash, and we have a dogs off-leash park. So dogs can have a run, but when they're outside of the park, back on the leash, and that way we're holding on to all the kangaroos and and uh, mammals that are that are uh, coexisting happily with with uh, the residents here. So that's within your hundred acres. How, what what's the effect a little bit broader um, outside of the estate with all that planting and and wildlife? Is it a bit of action begets action? Yeah. So look, we we're adjoining the coastal reserve, which has got this nice remnant uh, strip of vegetation, and we're now building onto that and replanting with collected a seed bank from all that local vegetation and, and growing and extending those those wildlife corridors. Uh, so a lot of those coastal birds are now moving up into the estate and we've got uh, you know, nice guidelines uh, in terms of plantings around the homes. People are using a diverse range of, of um, species, a lot of wildflower-rich plantings around the homes. So um, we're getting uh, local uh, blue-banded bees, which are a, a native, beautiful native bee species coming up and um, and inhabiting the, the, the bill form. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, little uh, New Holland mice, uh, swamp antichinus, uh, echidnas gambling across people's lawns. Um, 
I think in future we'll see koalas coming in from the old township. There's a little population of koalas uh, in the existing township. So we're planting their food habitat plants. So we're actually building the ecological values of this section of the coast rather than degrading them. And I think that's an interesting story. And I think there's a lot of research now showing how important connection to nature is to mental health, mm. being able to go out and see that blue space and that green space. And um, in lockdown, I think it's been really great for people to walk out and, and basically see all, all, all this wildlife starting to build up in our environment. Do you have plans to um, do the Echo Village Part 2? Yeah, it's interesting. We're, we're getting approached by uh, a number of um, uh, you know, people from around Victoria who have lamb holdings who are uh, looking to do similar things. Um, so I think uh, you know, a lot of the lessons here will, will uh, move and, and, and be, be taken elsewhere. We've had a lot of the big developers coming down to you know, come for a walkthrough and, and, and check out uh, the Cape. Um, I think no doubt there'll be infill um, estates and, 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 and greenfield estates that take a lot of the lessons that we've learned. And I, I hope uh, that you know, in 10 years there's 100 Capes underway or equivalents uh, around. And I really hope the whole, the whole housing industry moves under that carbon neutral footing. I think we've just got to move to more resilient, high-performance housing. Um, Australia, Australian housing is, is, is pretty poor compared to international standards uh, that you see in places like Northern Europe. Um, and it's not that difficult. There's going to be review. There's a review of the National Building Code underway, and I think there's a good chance we'll see a national lift to seven-star um, housing. And then if we can move to efficient all-electric homes like we're doing at the Cape, uh, then, then we can easily move um, new housing estates onto that carbon-neutral footing. The other thing I didn't mention is all the homes here have electric vehicle charge points and we also have community fast charge points and I was talking to one of our residents uh, recently and he said that his, his combined energy and transport uh, bills uh, for the last six months were six dollars because his, his, his uh, house is so energy efficient uh, that he's producing a big surplus of energy and then and he's been charging his long-range electric car yeah, so he's right. locked out his petrol bills and his yeah. electricity bills. So all this stuff is a great opportunity for the industry to grasp a hold of and embrace good design and technologies and, and renewable energy and energy efficiency and communities will benefit and the industry, uh, it's very, very sellable. It's a really interesting concept, isn't it? It's a, it's a really fascinating story. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to, to add before we wrap it up? Um, anything we maybe haven't touched on? No, I just think uh, it's. It, I pretty much said it. I think um, all, all the approaches that we're using here at the Cape are common sense, uh, replicable. Uh, they're proven technologies on millions of houses around the world. We're using conventional building materials, but just using them cleverly and in the right configurations. Um, and uh, if you have. Um, uh, you know, if we aspire to a higher standard and train our builders and bring them along, communicate well, then then the whole industry can lift to meet the rapidly looming challenges of, of climate change and, and higher energy costs and, and really help the whole country move on to a better trajectory. Uh, so I would say to developers, builders, designers, uh, don't be afraid of this, embrace it. It's the way of the future. Um, and uh, it's it's very sellable and, and you'll... Um, you'll get the support uh, if, if you take those steps and 
and, and, and move forward. It's a really interesting story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, it's, uh, it is interesting. I think we're just sort of the big myth buster here. Um, and I think the fact that we've got the whole estate, you know, is set up to higher cadence. Um, it's just really powerful when people walk through the place. Um, and um, uh, I think um, if we can just get more benchmark blueprint projects like this around the place to inspire the industry, then it's not, not that far away from becoming the new normal. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you've got smaller values, value-driven developers like us leading. Um, but uh, but I think um, as soon as we get some bigger developers doing a 2,000 lot division to these sort of standards, um, I think the world will change. And I don't think that's too far away. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, um, as a developer, I think it's really interesting that you're actually essentially putting a putting a value or, or a price on all the other stuff that you get. Um, yep. You know, the open space, um, the nature strips, the communal stuff. Um, and that's, to me, you know, that's part of the problem with property is that we don't value um, the natural resources property uh, properly. Um, yep. Whereas, you know, essentially by cutting in half the number of plots means that, you know, the, the, the price of them has got to encapsulate um, all the other stuff that you're providing them with, which I think is really clever. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think, um, you know, we're attracting premiums now for for this estate. Uh, you know, people do value it. Um, and this project's performing, you know, it's performing, it's, it's on, on, on track to perform really well for the investors. You know, one of the other metrics of success here is that the, the project performs well, uh, not only for the builders who are in here building, but also for the, the investors behind the project. And we, we are on track for the whole project to perform really well. So again, uh, I, I just say to the industry, um, you know, people do value this uh, this work, and, and there, there are those financial rewards uh, for for making those extra efforts. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're values driven, uh, but um, this is not uh, driven by altruism. It's not a charity. I mean, this is uh, on track to perform really well for for investors as well. Uh, so you can balance those things, uh, have those higher standards high performance, high, uh, have those good controls in place and how, um, and deliver good outcomes for your investors as well as the community. At what, how do you define the, the project being a success? Uh, well, the, the metrics, metrics of success are that we, we, we set up a, a demonstration carbon neutral um, estate that is replicable around the country, um, but also the metrics of success are that we we have a you know a happy community that's resilient uh, and that's well set up for the future to meet the challenges of, of climate change and sustainable living. And the other metric metric of success is that the participating investors and, and builders uh, also uh, do well uh, that that they they make uh, financial returns uh, from the project as well. And I've been clear about that uh, since day one with the community. Um, you know, I remember at that first meeting, people said. You know, all you want to do is, is make money. And I said, well, no, that, that's not the only thing we want to do. But we do want this project to be a profitable project to demonstrate to the broader community that you can step up and build to these standards mm. uh, and to demonstrate that to the property industry and investors uh, so that this isn't a one-off, that this becomes the new normal uh, a, a, as quickly as possible. 
Yeah, no, well done. Congratulations. I think it's probably the best thing to say. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's been uh, been, been a hell of a journey, but we're at the fun part now. And um, hopefully we're sort of broken through a few barriers um, and, and it won't be you know, quite so uh, difficult for people who follow in the footsteps uh, with the next the next round of projects that, that follow in our footsteps. You must have thought at some stage about giving up, though. Uh, look, I sort of locked, locked on to this, so I thought... God help us, if we can't get a project through of this calibre, uh, you know, I, I may as well give up. Um, but I, I, I locked on to this project and just fully committed to it. And um, But it did look diabolical there at some stages. I thought, you know, uh, we, we were on the verge of um, uh, being become cattle, uh, Becoming cattle farmers. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, um, and, and, that, and that would have been, you know, would have been incredibly... Oh, I don't know how we would have quite recovered if we couldn't get a project like this up in today's day and age where yeah. everyone from uh, government down you know, talking about taking action on climate and here we were with uh, the willingness to invest in integrated solutions and, and, and demonstrate it. Um, it would have been pretty hard for me to come back from that, not only financially, but also uh, on a sort of a psychological and emotional oh, absolutely. Uh, level. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It would shatter your uh, your faith in in. in government and, and community and people, wouldn't it? I would have, mate. I would have just, uh, you know, gone and uh, lived in a shack on a beach somewhere and drank beer and said, right, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but uh, you know, we, we got through all that and we're at that, at that fun part now. Brendan, I've really enjoyed our discussion and certainly wish you um, and everyone down at Cape Patterson, including your koalas, it'll hopefully be arriving soon. <laughs> Um, you know the very best. Um, if listeners want to know more, where do they get in contact with uh, with Brendan? Just hit uh, visit uh, liveatthecape.com.au uh, and you'll see a lot of information, house designs and so on up there. Uh, and, and follow us on our socials, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn if 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 you want, Brendan Condon. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, get involved. I'd certainly say definitely encourage people to have a look at that uh, Live at the Cape website. It's actually really interesting. Um, well, certainly when I heard about you, I was first introduced to you. That was my first step. And yeah, it's actually, there's some really good stuff on there. So, and you get to really, um, you know, really see, you know, what what, uh, what the project's really about. So, Brenda and I, thank you very much for your time. Um, and yeah, thank you for, for joining us today. Um, of course, for all of our listeners out there, you know, we'd love to help you on your property journey. So feel free to get in contact with us uh, with your questions and queries. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave us a rating for Property Australia's favourite obsession. I've been your host, Jeremy Cowan, to thank you to Brendan. Um, and until next time, let's keep obsessing about property. You've been listening to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Any opinions, views or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and should be considered general in nature, as they do not consider your personal objectives or financial circumstances. You should therefore consider these matters yourself before deciding whether the advice is appropriate to you and if you should act upon it. Should advice be sought, please seek an appropriately qualified advisor. Investing may not be appropriate for everyone, as there is inherent risk and the possibility of loss when investing in financial assets, just as there is the possibility of profits. Your host, Jeremy Cownan and Cownan Flack Proprietary Limited, are authorised representatives of PGW Financial Services Proprietary Limited, AFSL 384713.